All right, I'm interested, each of you, what is your opinion on hugging? Are you a hugger or are you a non-hugger? Don't, don't answer, don't answer all at once. I, I'll, I'll ask you after the service or maybe you'll show me what, you, what your opinion is. The ones who like to hug will probably give me a hug after the service, uh, regardless of how this sermon goes. Um, but I've, I've noticed that you, you can pretty much evenly divide the world between huggers and non-huggers. And, um, you know, one of the things about the pandemic over the year was a lot of huggers were not allowed to hug. And that was harder for some people and easier for other people. Um, Olaf, the famous snowman from the Disney animated movie Frozen, loves to say, hi, my name is Olaf and I like warm hugs. That's how he introduces himself to others. Which, again, just think of the irony for a second, a snowman who loves warm hugs. Hopelessly optimistic, right? Uh, Some people love hugs, like Olaf, other people don't. And I actually found an article in Time magazine explaining why some people hate being hugged according to science. And I could bore you with that, uh, but I'll give you a few little tips here. Um, You know, it it, it talks about how, um, you know, the hugging component is really just an expression of, you know, being close to another person. And so it says, you know, your options are limited when you're in a, a situation in public where you, how do you greet somebody? And it says you can either awkwardly dodge the gesture, stick out your hand for a handshake, or submit to the unwanted bear hug. Uh, just kind of the way it is. But it connects all this to um, how you were raised. You know, if, if your family was a hugging family, then you'll probably be a hugging person. Um, but there's also, you know, self-esteem and body issues, kind of how you view yourself and things like that that play into it. And there's also cultural components. Some cultures or cities or countries are just more hugging cultures than others. Um, so, for instance, people in the U.S. and in England hug each other way less than people in France or Puerto Rico, apparently. Who knew? But it's a thing. Um, but there's actually people in the world that are professional cuddlers. Do you know this? They actually, you can go to someone and they'll teach you how to, like, be embraced. How to, like, get, how to overcome your aversion to hugging. And you can actually find people that do this. Now, we could, again, get on a huge rabbit trail and go down that path if we wanted. But just, just I'm just introducing the topic here of this idea of embracing. How do we embrace one another? How do you like to be embraced? This morning's sermon is titled Embracing God's Grace um, because there's a theme of the word embrace that comes throughout chapter 20 of Acts. And so, again, I encourage you, if you are close to one of the the Black Pew Bibles, I encourage you to follow along in Acts chapter 20. Or if you have your own Bible or your phone, um, keep it open because we're going to be looking at several parts of this chapter in Acts 20. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts. God is on the move is what we've entitled the series. And this morning, we're going to look at a really interesting passage where, again, we've just read the story of a really unfortunate um, incident that happens while Paul preaches too long. So I'm going to try not to do that. Fortunately, we're not on the third floor. None of you will fall asleep and fall, hopefully, to your death. Um, But it goes on to talk about how Paul uh, says goodbye to these elders in Ephesus that we learned about last week when we were in Acts 19. Paul was in the city of Ephesus, He's raising up the church. He's equipping the saints for ministry. Today, he's calling all those elders back 
and he's basically saying goodbye to them. Um, But there's a theme of embrace in this chapter uh, that I just want to point out right here from the very beginning. Uh, You'll see it in a couple of places here. When the man falls out the window, it says, Brian read this, that in verse 10, it says, Paul went down, bent over him, taking him in his arms. Um, That's this idea of embrace. You You can see it. He kind of puts himself around this young man. Another way that that's translated in other versions is embrace. And the, the original word here is the same as the word embrace that is used at the end of chapter 20. So if you want to turn to the end already, I'll just kind of show you the bookends of the chapter. One is the young man falling out the window who Paul embraces, and it says it brings him back to life. And then at the end of chapter 20, verses 36 and 37, it says, When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, and they sent him off. Same word, embracing. And what you see in the middle of this chapter is grace. Grace. That I think what holds these two embraces, Paul embracing this young man, and these Ephesian elders embracing Paul, what holds them together in the middle is the grace of God. And that's what holds us together as well. So I just want to say one more thing about embrace, because there's actually a a physical component to embracing that's important. Miroslav Volf wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace, and he talks, he's particularly speaking into the, 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 uh, the conflict that was going on for many years in the Balkans between these countries that would fight each other and be at war with one another, how they'd view each other as enemies. And he was basically writing, writing this book out of that context, saying that we need to embrace one another, even our enemies, out of love. But he says, there's, he explains how there's four elements of an embrace. And the first one is what I'm doing already. The first element of an embrace is open arms. Open arms, signifying uh, a code of desire for the other, that I've created space in myself for someone else. It's a gesture of invitation. The second one is what I'm still doing. My arms are open, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you, the person that I want to embrace, to come to me. It's, it's not coercing you. It's not manipulating you. Again, if I just were to jump in and give you a hug without you wanting to be hugged, that's, that's not a true embrace. That's a bear hug. And that's what makes people feel uncomfortable. But an embrace is when the other person comes to you, then the third step is you close your arms around that person. And that's the reciprocal part of an embrace. It's this soft touch that turns it from a bear hug into an actual embrace. And then there's a fourth element. You may say, well, isn't the embrace done at that point? Actually, the embrace is done when you open your arms back up and you free the person from your embrace. Think about it. If you were to keep your arms closed there, that's now uh, a kidnapping. <laughs> you're, you're keeping them there, right? You've got to open your arms back up. You've got to let them go freely. And then you depart and you go. Those are the four elements of embrace. Open arms, waiting, closing arms, opening them up again. Cyril of Jerusalem. He's one of these early church fathers. This was written around the year 350 AD. So 800 years ago almost. He says, God stretched out his hands on the cross that he might embrace the ends of the earth 
Because this Golgotha, the place of the cross, is the very center of the earth. Jesus Christ on the cross is offering himself as an embrace for the whole world. And that's his invitation to us. So this morning I want to look at just a couple of aspects of embracing that we see in this passage. But the big idea that I want to communicate is that God's grace on the cross through the person of Jesus embraces us so that we can then be released from God's embrace to take that embrace to others. So that we can be deliverers of his grace through embracing others ourselves. So first point I want to point out is I want to go to this passage we just read, chapter 20, verses 7 to 12, this story of this man named Eutychus, and talk about what what do we see about God's grace in this passage. The point I want to make is that God's grace embraces our fragility, our fragileness, our, our brokenness as people, our sin. Because don't you see the absurdity of this passage? How, how easy it is for us to die. That's basically the big point of this little passage. Look how easy it is for us to be broken. We are fragile people, folks. I mean, all we need is the story of Humpty Dumpty to remind us that, right? We're Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Again, he's an egg, so I understand that. But it says all the king's horses and all the king's men, none of them could put Humpty together again. You and I are not an egg, but we are fragile people in the same kind of way that we break. We are fragile. We are sinful. God opens his arms wide to us, broken, rebellious, fragile sinners. Our As we've been learning through the Sunday school and through what the scriptures teach, our fragileness does not keep us from God. Our sin does not, you know, throw us away from him. It actually brings God's presence closer to us. He embraces fragile people. And so don't think that your fragileness actually scares God away. It actually draws draws him closer to you. Our brokenness and our fragileness comes from sin. The world wasn't created. We weren't created to be fragile people. We weren't created sinners. But when Genesis 3 comes and our original fathers, Adam and Eve, sinned, that brought brokenness and fragileness into the world. All of us are now finite people. We break and we sin. And our life is more fragile than we think. Again, just think about the ways that, that we are not whole in body. We break bones, we tear tendons, we get sick, we have accidents, we have organs that break down. In mind, we have anxious thoughts, there's mental illness. How often do you hear people talk about mental health these days? We have psychological breakdowns, fragile in mind, fragile in spirit. We lose hope, we get discouraged, we want to give up, we get tired. In relationships, we're betrayed, there's deceit, we're harmed by others. And certainly even in society as a whole, there's racism, there's injustice, there's disparities of all kinds that show the fragileness of our society. What is it that holds us together? None of us are able to escape brokenness personally because each of us have cracks in our own lives. And each of us eventually will die. And we don't know how or when that will happen. Because we really could just be going to a Bible study And the guy talks a long time and it gets warm in the room and we're sitting next to the window and we fall out. 
It's, I'm glad there's laughter because it really is that absurd. That's, this, this story about Eutychus is actually meant to draw out some of that absurdity because that's how fragile we are. I think we've all fallen asleep in a Bible study probably at some point in our life. So we, all, we probably all can relate to this on some level. Um, but this guy falls all the way out. And it says here he was taken up as dead. Um, and you may say, well, maybe that just means he was knocked out or maybe people thought he was dead. But actually, the, the text really gives us the, the clues that that actually means he was dead. There was no life in him. He was, he was gone. He died. And Paul embraces Eutychus. He embraces him. And it says then that it says he still has life in him. His life is back. Just from Paul picking him up, taking him around the neck, and embracing him. Now, what is happening here? How did, how did Paul do that? We don't get many details here. Um, but if there's one thing we've learned about the book of Acts is that God's Holy Spirit works through ordinary people to bring life-giving power to ordinary people. And the Apostle Paul here is just holding this man, this young man, probably a teenager, and yet the grace of God pours out through Paul so that life returns to this young man's body. He embraced him. Eutychus, the name, means lucky. That's what the name means. But really, that's not what this passage is communicating. It's not communicating luck. It's communicating life. Life by the grace of God. God uses fragile, sinful people. Paul is a sinful, fragile person himself. Don't you remember his story? In Acts chapter 9, he was, uh, you know, he was rebelling against God's people. He was persecuting them. And then he has this radical encounter with God to where he is blinded. That's, that seems fragile to me. He is blinded by the God of the Bible, you know, made to follow this man into the city until he encounters this man named Ananias who restores his sight so that Paul can then be used. And it says, it says here that uh, in Acts chapter 9, when Paul is converted, Jesus says, I must show him how much, how much he must suffer for my name. And then when Paul recounts that story later to another church in, in Corinth, Paul puts it this way. He says, when Jesus uh, encountered me and when I was converted, he said, Jesus said to him, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul recognizes well. He's like, I have no power in and of myself. I'm not a strong person. But God's grace is given to me in my weakness so that strength, the power of God, may flow through me. And then he just hugs this man, embraces him, opens his arms to him, gives the grace of God to this man, God Brings life to him. Just an amazing story. So as you and I are going throughout our world, and I think each of us see our own fragileness better than anybody else, and you may say, you know, how could I be used for, by God if, I, if I'm this fragile? Uh, that's what God loves to do. He gives us his spirits so that we can be used. David Brainerd is a missionary from the 1700s to the Native Americans. And he has a quote that says, Oh God, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate 
to who I am. Let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. God embraces us so that we can embrace others with his grace. By God's grace, our fragility and our sin isn't the end of our story, but actually the beginning of our story. It's the beginning of other stories of knowing Jesus. So that's the first big point. God embraces us by his grace uh, through our fragileness. Second point I want to make is looking at the rest of this chapter of Paul when he gathers these elders from Ephesus. He calls them to himself and he says, okay, I want to I want to give a, a farewell speech to you of kind of passing things one last time along to you before I keep going on my journeys around the Mediterranean. Is that what he communicates to the Ephesian elders is the fullness of God's grace. So God's grace embraces us fully is the second point I want to make. So God's grace embraces fragile people. That's the first point. God's, brace, God's grace embraces us fully is the second point. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie, Remember the Titans. It's one of my favorite movies. A story about this football team during the civil rights era of the 1960s and 70s in Virginia. It's about the merging of these two schools, a black school and a white school. They joined together for one school and they put together a football team of black and white players on the team. And it's a real rough go at the beginning. Um, they're having a hard time getting to know each other and, and befriending one another. But the two leaders of the team, uh, Julius and Gary, a black guy, Julius, a white guy, Gary, they began to form this friendship and this bond. And uh, Gary, the white guy, really wants his mother to embrace Julius, the black guy. But she's struggling with it. And uh, it's just a sweet scene. They invite, Gary invites Julius over to his house. And you can see, you kind of see it through the window. The camera kind of gives a window shot. And you see the little white mother, she sticks out her hand to shake Julius's hand. Anybody remember this? Julius comes up, and what does he do? He just embraces her, picks her up, and swings her around, just gives her a huge hug. He embraces her fully. He just goes beyond the handshake straight to the embrace. And that's what, that's what, the grace of God does for us. It embraces us fully. God waits for us to receive his embrace without coercing us or to embrace him back. But he does come after us fully. He gives us the fullness, the comprehensiveness of his embrace. So look at verse 18, for instance, um, of chapter 20 here. It says, you know, it says, when he came to them, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set forth in Asia. So Paul brings him his full presence with them in Asia, living with them from day one. Verse 19, it says, he was ser- I served the Lord with all humility and tears with the trials that happened to me. He, he serves them fully. You see that with tears, with his full heart, with humility. He came to them and gave them his whole self. Go on to verse 21. It says that, He was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of the repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. He he came to everybody, Jews and Greeks, not just to one tribe. And then finally, this is the point I want to emphasize the most. Verse 21, uh, 20 and 21, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house of the repentance toward God and of faith toward Jesus In verse 27, he puts it this way. 
Again, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. When Paul came to these elders in Ephesus, he didn't just give them the nuts and bolts. He didn't just say, hey, you should believe in Jesus. He gave them what he describes as the whole counsel of God. If you were here last week, we talked last week about how the role of the church is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. So we talked about how, you know, why do, why do we have a preacher that stands up for half the service every Sunday to preach and teach? Doesn't that seem disproportionate? You know, shouldn't we do other things? We talked about the necessity of teaching and preaching and equipping in the life of the church. And why is that so important? And why do we do it every week and not just like once a week or, or, or once a month or once every while? We do it so that we can explain the whole counsel of God, the Genesis to Revelation story, not just bits and pieces. We do it to explain the fullness of what God has done in the world, the fullness of what he's doing in and through you and me, the fullness of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fullness of what redemption means, the fullness of what our sin means. Again, this whole counsel of God, when it says whole, it means the whole thing. He's bringing the fullness of the story of redemption to the Ephesian elders. Remember, it took him two years to do that. And it says he did not shrink back, which means that, you know, it takes some boldness to declare some parts of the story of God. He could have shrunk back from parts of it, but he didn't. He gave the whole thing, anything that was profitable for teaching, verse 20 and 21, it says. He gave him everything. And he says, this is the story of God. This is the story of salvation. This is what it means to be saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. This is how it will change your life. And you need all of it because the world is broken. He gives it to them all. Paul centers everything on the grace of God. Look at verse 24. It says here, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify, to testify to the grace of God, to the gospel of the grace of God. And then he repeats it in verse 32. He says, I commend, to you, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among the saints. The gospel of Jesus, the good news, is all about the grace of God. It's all about the grace. Undeserved kindness and love of God towards sinners. At its core, that's what it is. It's beauty. And that's why we emphasize Jesus on the cross embracing the whole world, because that's where his grace is dispensed on the world. Just like we're going to dispense candy graciously on children a week from today, God infinitely more dispenses love and grace on any who wish to receive it. And, all, and that's why his arms are wide open waiting for us, right? He doesn't coerce us into, you know, accept my grace. Come on, just come on. Let me give you a big bear hug. No, he waits for us to see the beauty so that we open our arms and mutually embrace one another. There's one other place in the Bible where this theme of embrace is so powerfully seen, and it's in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. 
Maybe you know the story. It's this parable of this son who has this rich inheritance, but he decides to run away and take his father's inheritance, and he squanders it out in the world to the point where he's, it actually says he's laying in a pigsty, eating the slop of pigs because he's thrown away his father's inheritance. He's got nothing left. He's totally betrayed his father's trust. He's run amok. And he comes running back home because he has nowhere else to go. So he comes running back home saying, I just hope my father will receive me back. And he's off in the distance and the father sees him from the front. And do you remember what happens? Verse 20 of Luke 15. Luke 15, 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And he says, my son has returned. Let's have a feast. Let's have a banquet for my son who was once far off has returned home. The embrace, the grace of God. That is the father's heart towards each of us. We are the wayward son. And God, by his grace, is welcoming us back home with open arms, the wide arms of the cross. God will only close his arms all the way around us to fully complete the embrace if we choose to run to him, to embrace him back. And that's what we see the Ephesian elders do in this passage. You may be, maybe you've been asking, you know, what, what, are, what are the Ephesian elders thinking of Paul here? Paul kind of calls them together and says, you know, here's my final, my final words to you. Uh, but the Ephesian elders, uh, you see this last point, they embrace him back. They embrace him back. So the third and final point here is that God's grace, not only does it embrace us fully, but it embraces us in the farewells as well. So look at verses 36 to 38. Paul finishes his speech about the comprehensive whole counsel of God, the grace of God. And then the elders come, they're weeping, and they embrace Paul and they kiss him. That's the same thing as the prodigal son. They embrace him and they kiss him, and they send him off uh, with with their sorrow. They're sad to see him go, but also they know he's got to go. He's got to move on. There's something about farewells that, that teach us something profound about our life, I think. Um, my wife isn't in here. She's up helping the kids upstairs, but um, I'll, I'll, kinda, I'll get vulnerable here with you for a second. You ready for this? Um, when I was first dating Sarah, we've been, we've been dating two months, and you know, you're kind of getting to know each other, kind of going through the relationship, and I remember I was about to drive down to North Carolina to visit my parents, and I was going to say goodbye to Sarah, really, for the first time. We had been dating for two months. I didn't really know even what our long-term future was at that time. But when I started to say goodbye to her, I started, like, tearing up, and, like, my voice got all fragile and quivery, and I started crying, saying goodbye to this relative stranger. I'd only known her two months. But knowing I had a 16-hour drive ahead, and I was going to be back in like two weeks, but even just saying goodbye to her for that first time actually showed me probably for the first time that I loved her. There's something about farewells that show us 
love and grace in a fresh, amazing way. It's actually kind of like saying hello. Farewells actually are kind of like hellos. I think you've heard Pastor Bob say this in the past, that Christians don't say goodbye. Christians say farewell. That's what he said when he transitioned a few months ago into retirement. And so the last step of an embrace, the embrace of grace, is what? The opening back up of the arms, being released from God's presence. Why would God release us from his embrace? To go back into the world with his grace so that we can be dispensers of that grace that we've received back out into the world. One pastor says that God is like a spiritual cyclone. He only hurls you in so he can hurl you back out. He hurls you in, he draws you into this cyclone of love so that he can just send you right back out as an agent of his grace and love into the world. I just, I want to just point out the, the beauty of the community in this passage. The Ephesians and Paul, there's a love there. The word love is never communicated, but the love is there. The grace of the Lord Jesus. God's word is what holds us together. Let me just finish with this conclusion. This is my, my final story. Um, there's a story of this woman who... Uh, who lived in New York City for many years, and she, she titles this article, How I Learned to Love Christianity. Uh, she says this, she's like, in New York, I knew more, again, this is why I'm drawn to this this week because of our context, it's similar to us. She says, in New York, I knew more self-identified witches and non-theistic Satanists than I did resurrection-affirming Christians. She says, I was invariably a stranger in a strange land. And she's like, and she said, I I don't mean that I didn't believe in God or didn't realize I believed in God. Um, But there was, for me, the most demanding part of embracing Christianity, of embracing Christianity, was sacrificing the safety of being in between, in between other religions and worldviews and nothing or God. And just kind of be like, where does a Christian fit in this world? She said, I could no longer be a little bit pagan. Halloween parties that ironically but not really celebrated witchcraft or other staples of my at times aggressively secular New York life were no longer simply curious parts of my spiritual eclecticism. I had to pick a side. And so she says, for the first time, I had to ask myself questions, not just about what it all meant in an abstract way, but what each decision from posting on Instagram to choosing an outfit to drinking too much at a wedding meant for me as a Christian in the framework of my Christianity. And this is what she says. If God was real, if Christ really did come back from the dead, then nothing else mattered except insofar as it reflected on that one impossible truth. And she admits at the end, she's like, I haven't fully reconciled what it means to be a person of faith and what it means to live like that in a city that's so associated with sin. But what I do know is that whatever I am, I am the same person with the same faith. I can never not be a Christian. I am always finally home. When you see the beauty of the resurrection and the embrace of God, which is not coerced, not this bear hug that's jumping on you, but a free, welcoming, inviting embrace of the love of the Father, the grace, again, that prodigal son image. When you see that, you can never not be at home. 
You can never not be at home because all that matters is, did Jesus raise from the dead? And Christians, we believe Jesus raised from the dead. Rich Mullins in his famous song, Hold Me Jesus, says this, Hold me, Jesus, because I'm shaking like a leaf. You have been my king of glory. Now won't you be my prince of peace? May we embrace the grace of Jesus that's been freely given to us so that we can give it to others in our wonderful city that needs Jesus so much. They need to experience the loving embrace of Jesus, and may they experience it through us. Let me pray, and we'll sing one more song. Lord Jesus, what more can we say but thank you for the grace that you've given to us? Lord, may that embrace of your grace on us, may that turn into an embrace of us, an open embrace of us towards others, so that we might to invite and not coercively, but patiently wait others to embrace your grace as well. May you use us to give your, your hug of love and righteousness and grace to the world. May that fuel us and empower us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.